there were all these well-meaning people who were like, I'm going to help you get your body back when my body didn't actually go anywhere. So that was frustrating. (laughs) Welcome to Book Therapy. I'm your host, Kim Patton. There's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world. Some are decent, some are truly terrible, and some are great. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one great book. Together, we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I have a super special guest for you coming on next. But first, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a review on whatever platform you have, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Spotify, Apple, whatever you got, I'll take it. (laughs) I appreciate all the support y'all give me and just I'm just so grateful for you as listeners. So thank you. Let's dive into the book. Today we have a special guest and our first poetry collection. So I'm going to be interviewing Tristan Tuttle. She's joining us here today. The name of our book is A Kudzu Vine of Blood and Bone, a poem collection. Tristan lives here in North Georgia. She's actually just down the road a little bit, and we've spent quite a bit of time together. I've really enjoyed getting to know her family. She has two beautiful little girls and her husband, Jared. And she loves to garden. She loves to write. Welcome to the show, Tristan. Thanks for having me. So this is a poetry collection, and I'm really excited because I saw specific themes in your poetry collection as I was reading it, and I can't wait to talk to you about them. The first one is truth. So there was so many poems that you just brought the truth of motherhood to the surface, the truth of being a woman, the truth of life. And I really appreciated that because not everybody does that. I'm going to kick us off with a beautiful little poem. It's called Things I Ask My Children slash Things I Ask Myself. Are you drinking enough water? Have you gone outside yet today? Would you like a snack? Do you need a break? Can I hold you? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much God loves you? The title is what I really liked about this because you are a mom, so your time is spent with your children, but you also have learned a lot about self-care. So tell me about that. Well, I when I wrote this poem, I was thinking that we forget that we actually need stuff too. Like we spend our entire days in service of other people. So to think that we could ask ourselves the same questions as we ask our children I feel like it's important because we don't take the time during our day to actually take care of ourselves. But if we asked ourselves these same questions, we would find that we also need the same things that we are trying to give our children. And when we're cranky, a good question to ask is, do you need a snack? Like, if I ate something, I'd probably be happier. Do I need to go outside? (laughs) Yes, I need to go outside. These things will help us through our day. So I wanted to ask myself the same questions I asked my girls. I remember being shocked by a banana one day because I feed my girls bananas. And one day I looked at a banana and I was like, Kim, you used to eat bananas. Eat a banana. Yeah. And I'm like, no, they're for the girls. You know, they love them. They're for everybody. Yes, bananas are for everyone. Banana for you, <laughs> banana for me. The next poem that I really love is just this this last part of it. You talk about birthing children, but you also talk about the birth of yourself as a mother. So the title of the poem is Motherhood is Art. And the last stanza says what is more artistic than to love from a place that is beyond time what is more creative than the birth of a child the birth of a mother tell me about your journey into motherhood well i was 
terrified. Um, truth be told, my husband was like, hey, do you think we're ready to have kids? And I immediately started crying because I was <laughs> not ready to have kids. And I often, I thought often of the things that I would lose out on by becoming a mother in my mind. That's what I was thinking. Like, oh, I'm not going to have this freedom. I'm not going to have my, like, my relationship with my husband is going to change. Like, all these different things that I was afraid of. But once I just jumped in both feet because I told him, I was like, I'm never going to be ready. So if we're going to like have a baby, let's have a baby, you know? And it worked out, uh, obviously, but I think I was so scared that I was afraid to let myself think of the good that could come, like the, the good, what could be. I focused really heavily on the negative and it terrified me. So then once Jubilee got here and I was just overwhelmed with this feeling of love for her and confusion about what was happening to me <laughs> through mm -hmm. the process. Mm -hmm. But when I started writing all this poetry and stuff, it kind of came out that like, I am a whole new person and she is this whole new person that's, you know, from me, but I became a new person by her being born. And so I think we forget that we're also changing and we are also being birthed into something new. So as far as like identity, we have an identity before kids and we have an identity that kind of forms as we welcome children into our home, it's it's not like we turn into different people, but what is that identity shift? Right. I think it changes. I think it has to change because before kids, not that we're all these selfish, crazy people before children, but once kids get here, all your priorities shift. You have to because they're relying on you for every single little tiny thing. So you have to change in order to keep them alive. <laughs> and that's pretty important. But I also think that sometimes we forget that the new version ourselves has not completely shed the old version. It's more of like an amalgam of the two, like a mix. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so um, I'm going to read one more poem. This is called Mantras. My body is a temple. My scars are beautiful. My broken heart is worth mending. If I repeat it enough, it must be true. In this life journey, we have to cling to truth. So tell me why these mantras have been important for you and as they anchor you to truth, how has it helped you? Well, I think anything that we tell ourselves repeatedly, we perceive as true. So if we speak negativity over our life, that's what we're going to latch onto. Whereas we can take the things that we might not be satisfied with ourselves about, like scars or just things that we, we consider to be broken, and we kind of spin it to be a positive, that has a lot of value because if I tell myself only bad things, then I'm going to start believing them. Whereas if I say that my body is a temple, and I mean, from a biblical perspective, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So that's an important, for sure, truth. Mm -hmm. But then when we say my scars are beautiful or my broken heart is worth mending, those things are also true, but they're also important for us to recognize that the more we say those things, the more we will believe them and our lives will be more positively impacted because of it. Whew, you're like preaching to me. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the next character trait, which I saw in your poems, which is value. And I know that this whole topic of body image came to you after your kids were born, and you were struggling with body image. This poem is called New Year's Resolutions, and just a small portion of it says... The totality of your worth is not found in the sum of your gravitational pull. Be so free from the weight of conformity that you float above it all. That's really beautifully written. 
And when I saw that, the gravitational pull, it's like you're talking about weight. You're talking about a number on a scale, but who who calls it the gravitational pull? (laughs) Like that was the most creative, beautiful way of saying that. But then you also said float above it all. And we, I mean, the gravitational pull pulls us down, obviously. And for, for you to encourage us to rise above, I think that's a really beautiful imagery. And I know this comes from a place of pain. I have heard you tell your story, and I want you just to talk a little bit about why this means so much to you and what you have learned in the journey. This means a lot to me because I feel like I have always struggled with body image issues, and then after my children came, there were all these well-meaning people who were like, I'm going to help you get your body back when my body didn't actually go anywhere. So that was frustrating. (laughs) But then I felt like I was stuck in this weird space where mentally I couldn't let go of that. And I was feeling pressure to conform to whatever this beauty ideal is and to get my body back. And I just felt very bogged down by that. I felt like it was becoming like my personality almost to be concerned about this Mm. and to be thinking about it all the time. And it was becoming a little obsessive. And I don't want that for myself, but I have two young girls and I want to be a good model of that for them, like a healthy body image, Mm -hmm. even though I may not be satisfied with all the ways that I look, that's not the important part. The important part is realizing that our worth is not in that number on the scale. Our worth is found through Jesus and our worth is found in how we've accepted ourselves, not what other people think is acceptable to be seen in a bathing suit or whatever the number on the scale is or your BMI or whatever nonsense that they say Mm -hmm. you should be. Our value is not found in those things. And we'll get to the story at the end that (laughs) you don't even care and you do something so crazy that it's my (laughs) most favorite poem and I can't wait to talk about that. So this value of of our body and our self-worth and then also... One of our struggles as women is definitely body image, but also social media and all of its pressures has taken a huge part of our mental. It's taken a big part of our brain that we can't ever get back. (laughs) So this poem on page 51 is called Instagram vs. Reality. And in the last few lines, you say, coffee to drink with a friend and noodles to make from scratch with my sister. So you see, my home isn't Instagram ready because it's real life ready. This even could go back to the to the truth category because it's just the truth. You live in your home. Right. That's where you live. That's where everything is. That's where you love. That's where you serve people. So to have it be Instagram ready is a pressure that is totally unnecessary oh, because definitely. this is your real life. So talk to me about how social media has impacted your value or your, even the way you think about your home, the way you think about your family. Instagram and other social medias can influence your tastes a lot. Like we all want, maybe not everybody, but I, for a long time, wanted that pristine, white, beautiful kitchen. There's no crumbs on the counter. You know, there's not dog hair stuck to stuff. Everything is beautiful and lovely, but nobody lives there. You know, like they talk about the farmhouse kitchen. If you've ever been to an actual farmhouse, the kitchen is a disaster zone because they're living there. They're growing things. They're canning things. They're They're cutting chickens' heads off. Yes, they're like living there. You know, they're really doing something with their lives there. So it's not going to be clean. It's not in terms of like, it's going to be cluttered. There's going to be stuff on the counters. There's going to be evidence that someone lives there. And I feel like a lot of times it is very easy to fall into the trap of, I don't want 
my home to look lived in. You know, what if somebody sees it? Or I want to take a picture and put it on the Instagram, but what if there's a dirty coffee cup in the sink or whatever, you know? There's that pressure to perform even inside of our own homes. And I think that's a, a waste now, especially, I realize, because I want to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy my home. I want to enjoy my children. And whenever I've put pressure on myself to be on all the time, I suck the joy right out of the house. I feel like I set the tone for my home in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I'm there all the time. The girls are with me all the time. So if I have this anxiety about keeping everything just so, I'm ruining everybody's day and nobody's happy. <laughs> and I'm not happy either. Yeah, it's like an impossible standard. Definitely. This last category is love. And I want to talk about how the healing power of love came out in one of your poems. And it's on page 82 and it's titled, I Love You. A friend once told me I saved her life by telling her I love you once a week. You don't have to say it back, but I love you. The world needs you. This is your sign to stay. What a powerful poem, first of all. If you feel comfortable telling the story behind that, that's fine. But just in general, when you think about sacrificing for your family and having a hopeful love and feeling love to the point where it becomes pain, how do you reconcile the pain of love with the you know, mushy-gushy feelings of love that everybody always talks about. For this poem, I have always been a fairly quick person to say I love you because I just, if I feel it, I say it. My whole family has been that way. We've all, One time I went to the movies, my dad <laughs> dropped me off, and I was like, bye, Daddy, I love you. And then as we were walking in, she was like, is your dad sick? Aww. Like, is he dying? I was like, no, why? I was like, it just came out of nowhere. And she's like, you told him you loved him. Oh. And I that it really hit me that day that that's not like – a normal thing for a lot mm. of people and it kind of broke my heart but in this instance for this poem one of my best friends um she had a sister and her sister had gone to college and was kind of struggling with stuff and I was like well hey like invite her along because I had like a weekly meetup at my house to make crafts and we made we ate ramen noodles and just made stuff and it was <laughs> a lot of fun and I was like well bring her she kept coming she kept coming and I would say okay bye I love you you know like as they're leaving and she never said it back to me never said it back it was probably like six months and that was fine because I know people don't always say it and that's totally cool But later on, she told me that me telling her that saved her life because she was suicidal at home. She would wake up and be sad that she was still like that. She woke up and that broke my heart to think that someone was so on the edge and that just me saying that was enough to keep them going for a whole week. So I feel like we kind of sometimes don't really think about the impact that we could have just by showing simple acts of love. It doesn't have to be an actual I love you said out loud. But that probably doesn't hurt most of the time. <laughs> most mm-hmm. of the time, but I think with anything that we love or any person that we love, there is a certain amount of vulnerability that has to come from that. Because if you never say it, mm-hmm. they may never know. I could show someone that I love them, but they could maybe write it off as something else. You know, like oh well, she's just a nice person or whatever. But like when you say I love you and like you look in their eyes and you you mean it, people know the truth. Mm -hmm. To finish us out in the love category, I really enjoyed this poem called A Poem of Minor Inconveniences. And I think you just unleashed your inner anger (laughs) in this poem. Um, I can only imagine (laughs) what it was like to write this. It felt good (laughs) to write it down. (laughs) Did you have like a, a longer list of all of the things that can go wrong? Basically, she's throwing someone under the bus and saying, I hope that all these terrible things happen to you because of the way you disrespected your wife online. 
And I appreciated that. I felt like you stuck up for her and maybe she didn't know that you were sticking up for her, but this was probably a really fun poem to explore. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if she ever even read my book, but I was so frustrated because I don't, I don't like the stereotypes of like the dumb dad or the nagging wife. I feel like men and women both deserve respect and that's you don't disrespect someone that you say that you love by making terrible jokes at their expense online or making them the butt of a joke I feel like Mm -hmm. man woman child whatever that's rude Mm -hmm. and if you're in a covenant with someone you should have more respect than that so I was just so frustrated because he just genuinely thought that he was hilarious and I was like (laughs) no and I I got mad and I didn't want anything truly terrible to happen to him I'm Uh not a bad person Mm -hmm. but there is very few things more annoying than like a little cat hair getting wrapped around your eyelashes and tickling your eye all day (laughs) you know I feel like that's almost maybe a little more devious than something truly bad happening oh he he had no clue that you were like you know sending all these terrible things his way (laughs) We talked about truth and value and love, and I want to end with just the freedom and acceptance and peace that comes with this final poem called Naked. This was my favorite poem, and tell me about these trips that you do with your friends and why this night was so pivotal for you in just your freedom. Uh, Well, I take um, a yearly trip with some of my girlfriends. I've known some of them my whole life. Some of them are relatively new friends, but we'll go. There's about eight of us most of the time that make the trip. And we just go to like this little island in Alabama and it's very secluded. The whole island is like, I think 13 miles across, like long, but you can only get to seven miles of it with a road. Like, so it's very small and peaceful little place. And so we would go and I have always had this desire to just feel free, like in nature. And so we were there something overtook me. So I was like, I'm going to get in this water, but I didn't want to get in with my clothes. So I just started taking my clothes off and I ran in the water and I felt first to clarify, there were no other people around when I did this other than my friends. So nobody saw anything that, you know, it wasn't weird. But uh, when I did it, I had this overwhelming sense of, of peace and calmness that came over me. And it kind of unlocked something in me. I think that made me realize that like, I don't have to be tame. I don't have to be calm all the time. I can be who I really am. God put this wildness in me for a purpose. And so I don't have to tamp it down to be accepted by other people. I can be who I am and I can enjoy my life to the fullest. And I just so happen to have to get naked to realize that. (laughs) But I feel like it was a pivotal moment in my life, honestly, because I feel like after that, something was unlocked. And I was like, I can walk in this freedom that I never would have thought. I Like, I never would have thought I would have done that before. But all of a sudden, it was like a switch flipped. And I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And I did. And it was amazing. Is that where your um, your phrase came from? Wild and free forever? What's your, what's your thing you always say? Oh, uh, I have a sign in my house that I painted that says, stay wild and weird forever. And I, I because I feel like that's the best way to be is a little wild and a little weird (laughs) by most people's standards. Probably that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for my girls. That's what I want for my husband and all the people that I love and care for is when you get over trying to fit in and you are a little weird and you are a little wild, there's a whole bunch of really cool stuff that's on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. That if we go back, going back to like the conformity aspect, if we just stay in our little boxes and we never branch out and we never do anything that scares us a little bit, we're missing out. Mm-hmm. We're missing out on a lot of really cool stuff. 
And I don't want that. Like, I want to live a life that is open to whatever it is that the Lord would have for me, whatever that means, wherever that means I will go and do. I want to do that. And that's this little vignette at the end of the book was pretty much how the book got started. I wrote that first. Interesting. And then after that, I just kept going backwards and thinking about all the things that were, I felt like had held me down up until that point. And there were some things here or there that I moved around as I wrote, but I wanted the book overall to tell an overarching story of a person who was full of anxiety and scared out of her mind about being a mother. And then after she became a mother, she didn't recognize herself. And, but as she's finding herself and she's reconnecting with herself and with God, there's a peace and a freedom at the end of it. It turned out beautiful. I really enjoyed reading it. I've read it twice, (laughs) once on my phone and once in the paper copy. So once again, this is a kudzu vine of blood and bone poetry collection by Tristan Tuttle. Tell us where everybody can find you and what projects you're dabbling in. Because I know you have things you're working on yeah. in like 15-minute pieces throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. So I, you can find me on Instagram at Tristan Tuttle. And um, I am currently working on a novel, which is terrifying because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but I'm calling it for now the River Woman Project. And I'm really excited about it. Don't understand what to do, how to do it, but I'm trying. Um, but I'm excited about the story. I think it'll be really neat. I've done a lot of research about like herbalism and like uh, the mountains and the lore that goes along with all that stuff because I find it fascinating. And so mm-hmm. that's going to play a part in her story. And I'm also writing poems here and there. And I have this year has just been crazy for me. And I got to be in three different anthologies through the Moms Who Write group mm-hmm. um, online. And it's just been really, really neat to see what all comes from it you know I never thought whenever I wrote this book that it would open door after door after door to just to connect with people and for people to connect with me it's just been really cool I think part of your staying wild and weird is choosing to write there's a vulnerability that comes with sharing your stories I mean you talk about stuff that a lot of people are facing And you're going first and you're sharing what has been hard for you and what you have learned and how you have grown through that. And the way you do it is really beautiful. So people can can jump on board because it's part of a journey that they can go on with you. I have really enjoyed your poetry. I can't wait to see more. And thank you so much for joining me today. It was lovely talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Book Therapy Podcast. Today's book was A Kudzu Vine of Blood and Bone by Tristan Tuttle. Please check out her books. Check out her website. It'll be in the show notes. And we'll see you next time. The, the beginning is always really hairy. I promise it'll get better. I trust you. And um, yeah, I kind of ran out of steam there. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>